Theorizing that podcast audiences wanted to listen to two grown men talk about time travel, Nate Bowden and Brian Martin started a show dedicated to Quantum Leap. Together, they explore NBC's revival of the franchise, starring Raymond Lee and Caitlin Bassett, and its connections to the original series. They also examine spin-offs, such as novels and comics, as well as some mirror images in the form of television shows and movies that share creative DNA with the adventures of Sam Beckett and Ben Song. And so Nate and Brian find themselves leaping from topic to topic, striving to make sense of it all, and hoping each time that their next episode will be the one that goes viral. Oh boy, it's a Quantum Leap podcast. My name is Nate, and renewing his podcasting vows is my better half, (laughs) Brian Martin. Hello, Nate. Happy New Year. (laughs) Yeah, moving into the first two weeks of January here, we've been off for quite a while, longer than you and I really thought. Yeah. The last episode we actually sat down and recorded on purpose together was... (laughs) On purpose? Did you record one on accident some some point? Well, I feel like the clip show, last, <laughs> the previous episode was uh, the accidental episode. Yeah, I guess it kind of was. Incidental episode, let's call it that. It's been a minute since we sat down and actually uh, had a conversation. Yeah. Well, I'm eager to have another one. Now, okay, I'll ask you this first. Yes. Had you seen this before you recommended we talk about it? No, no, no. I just knew what the general plot was. Okay. So this was, okay, see, I went into this with a much different understanding because you brought up this movie a couple of times, a few times. Like, I'm because like I, this yes, is a movie yes. that Brian knows and that Brian likes. It must be good. It is a movie that Brian knows <laughs> and has not seen. <laughs> but but, but I knew the general so... plot. Why were you so interested in doing it then? Because again, I think the <laughs> what without getting too deep into it, because one I've got a few very key topics to discuss. The fact that we were talking so much about the romance and the budding romance between Ben Song and Hannah Carson on Quantum Leap, and one of the things that we've talked about is the potential for them to meet out of sequence. Right. Right. And build a relationship in a very interesting, non-linear way. Right. Which is something I knew was the plot of The Time Traveler's Wife. Okay. That these two people, one of whom is being kicked through time without any sort real of. control yeah. over it. And the other one who is just a woman living forward. <laughs> right. Know? Just moving in a straight like line the rest forward of us. as people tend to do. And so I thought, okay, well, let's look at this and see if the idea to tell any degree of nonlinear romance story with the two of them makes sense or doesn't make sense for Quantum Leap. Okay. So that's one of the topics I want to talk about is does this work? That's good. No, see, I feel like I might have steered the audience wrong because I fully believed that you had some foreknowledge no well, no I, it's not for it's just a hunch <laughs> <laughs> how did that pan out for you brian well again i've got a lot of things to talk about okay anyway what we're talking about is the time traveler's wife it is based on the 2003 novel by audrey niffenegger a bestseller it was a bestseller turned into a 2009 feature film directed by robert schwentke who brought us such memorable films as Flight Plan and Red and such (laughs) forgettable films as R.I.P.D., a couple of the Divergent movies, and Snake Eyes, the one with the ninjas from G.I. Joe in it. It stars, as we mentioned before, a couple of Marvel alums, Eric Bana, your original motion picture Hulk, as Henry DeTamble, the character who is just bouncing around through time every once in a while. Just because. Just because. Rachel McAdams, Dr. Christine Palmer from the Doctor Strange films, mm-hmm. as Claire Abshire, his, uh, I don't know, groomee, 
And got a couple other really big names in this movie. I was delighted to see Ron TPS reports Livingston. Yeah. As a man named Gomez, even though he's clearly <laughs> not Hispanic. I and, thought that too, but I wasn't like. <laughs> and maybe one of my favorites of all time, Stephen Ned Ryerson Tobolowski <laughs> as Dr. Kendrick. You know, this is the movie that I'm watching, and by the time Stephen Tobolowski shows up, I'm like, what are you doing in this movie? <laughs> I'm already having too much fun talking about this movie. And it's Stephen Tobolowski. Yeah. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like, what are you, what are you, I get why the other people are here. They're collecting a paycheck. What are you doing here? <laughs> You're on screen for all of 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not that he's not a delight. Stephen Tobolowski, I just love Right, no. And, and elevates everything he's in. Definitely elevates the scenes that he's in, for sure. I Like I said, I'm already having too good a time talking about this movie because <laughs> this, I think, is like 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, yeah. And it shows. Uh, for me, like, spoiler yeah. alert. Wow. <laughs> there are a number of ways in which this movie is a mess. Yeah. It is a mess narratively. It is a mess ethically. (laughs) (laughs) It raises some interesting questions and then immediately tries to dismiss every last one of them. That's one of the most frustrating things for me about this movie. There's a lot of, I'm not even going to say problematic ideas, interesting ideas that I think a movie like this should have to address that this movie just ignores. Ignores. There's one moment where Claire suggests she might be a little bit angry about things, but then it's very quickly smoothed out. Right. Part of me thinks, and I have no evidence to support this at all, except that it was a bestseller. It was Mm -hmm. a novel. Novels are infinitely more intricate than movies. And it's now also a television series. Oh, it was. It got canceled. Oh, did it? Okay. Well, I didn't know that, but... Both of those are examples of there's more story to tell. Right. You know, and this movie really does feel like a larger format story that they're just trying to make into a movie. That isn't even two hours long. Yeah. (laughs) Mercifully. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, there's that. Yeah. But this movie moves along at a very wild pace. Yeah. I'm talking like it's a horrendous train wreck. I don't think I would go that far. I wouldn't either, no. In fact, 23% still feels awfully low to me, personally. Yes, yeah. Overall, just first impressions, I walk away from this movie and I'm just like, okay. (laughs) What the hell was that? Yeah, my uh, my impression coming out of it. Nothing happened. I would probably give it like a C minus overall. Yeah. Because I find Eric Bana to be fairly engaging. And I find Rachel McAdams to be extraordinarily pleasant to look at. (laughs) So it gets a C minus from me. I will always come to bat for one of the cinematic Rachels. (laughs) I am a big fan of all actresses named Rachel. No kidding. All right. If you see an actress named Rachel... Odds are pretty good. Okay. Pretty good. I'm a big fan. I'll bear that in mind. So this Henry DeTamble is a man who is... He has a genetic disorder. Yes. That causes him to time travel. A a genetic disorder called chrono impairment, which is, you know, of course that's what it's called. (laughs) What chrono impairment is, is it's a condition under which you have a hard time progressing through time in a straightforward fashion. I don't know if there's any medication you can take for it. Henry never has the opportunity to figure that out. But, but see, but that seems like a that... thread that might have been picked up in the book. It does. Yeah. And, and maybe something that the uh, the daughter might encounter later Spoilers. in her life. Yeah. <laughs> but chrono impairment sends him jumping throughout time. Where and when, that's left pretty vague in the movie. In terms of what the parameters are of what his leaping looks like. He appears to mostly leap within his own lifetime, like Mm -hmm. Sam Beckett, but occasionally leaps beyond his own life. Or uh, it may have gone back farther. We really don't know too much. And I think that by itself is fine. 
Yeah. Saying that this is a genetic disorder and it's just something that keeps happening to him, I don't really have a problem with that. No. There's a real big reason why I don't have a problem with that, and that's because, as we've talked about previously on the show, X-Men comics. We love them. We've read X-Men comics. (laughs) And the first time this happens to young Henry is just moments before his mother is killed in a car wreck and he's a passenger in the backseat. Mutant powers tend to manifest in one of two ways in the X-Men comics. At the onset of puberty Mm -hmm. and or during a traumatic experience. And so this traumatic experience of his mother getting killed in a car compels him to leap to another time period for a minute, a minute and a half, and then return back to the time from which he had just disappeared. Right. Moments after his mother is killed in a fiery, you know, blaze. Yeah, that's a good perspective on it. I hadn't really looked at it that way, but similarly, it didn't bother me. It's a device. I've got a story to tell. I don't care why this happens to this person, but it does. And now I can tell my story knowing that this is the baseline. So, I, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. (laughs) But But I did. Whatever. That opening scene is one of my favorite parts of the movie, really, because uh, young Henry is there standing in the snow looking at this fire in the middle of the street, and his older self appears next to him. This is the first time we see older Henry portrayed by Eric Bana, mm-hmm. and he basically lays it all out there for him. You're time traveling. This is going to be something you have to live with, but you're going to be okay. See, look at me. I'm you. We're, I'm old. He kisses him on the forehead, and then vanishes yeah you know and i thought that's cool that your older self showed up and kind of shepherded you into this yeah it's a good setup with no payoff to me yeah yeah it is a good setup i guess like yeah no matter who i am watching this movie whether i think about time travel all the time as you and i do (laughs) i'm just a civilian here against my will right i get it now i know everything i need to know and then the movie immediately kind of starts to undercut that Right. Because it very quickly introduces Claire later in his life, whom already knows him, even though it's the first time he's ever seen her. Right. And this is the reason I wanted to watch this, right? Because I really am a sucker. We talked about it with Doctor Who and River Song for people out of step chronologically with each other. Okay. And this is also where the movie started to have real problems for me. Well, yeah. I was kind of excited that we were going to do this, honestly, because... I've made it no secret that I love romantic comedies and romance movies. And yes. And I thought, you know, joining these two things with time travel, it's got to be a home run for me, even though I had heard that it wasn't a great movie. Right. And yeah, there's not a lot of the feels, you know? No, I You I don't think get your movie... heartstrings tugged on. It's really just a very flaccid story about a marriage and a life from inception to end. It's basically like that movie Marriage Story if Adam Driver were occasionally traveling through time as well. And a little boring. (laughs) Right. A little less Adam Drivery. Like the time travel thing is a gimmick within it that they almost don't do enough with. And ultimately, it just feels like a biography about a family that has a relatively interesting life if you think about it. I mean, over the course of this movie, they win the lottery. They have multiple miscarriages. Yeah. Typical scenes where their friends meet and their life progresses. And, you know, I've got a medical condition that I'm trying to fix. And all things that are just part of some people's lives, Mm -hmm. which can be good in a biopic or something like that. But when you're finished watching it in a movie like this... I really felt like nothing had happened. At the end of it, (laughs) nothing happens. Yes. This type of thing can be a story, but it doesn't have the escalation, crescendo, fall, and rebirth that the romantic comedy has. Right? Or the the romance movie. The romance movie, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. You have to have the meeting. You have to have the falling in love where you end up liking both of these characters. It comes to a very, very, very high where they realize their love for one another and then somebody fucks something up and there's a low, 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 low before they realize that they can't be without each other 
and they come back to it. Now, that's formulaic. That's the formula. Yes. But it's the formula that works. And if you get the right characters, the right situation, and the right actors that have the great chemistry, it's a reason it's a formula. It works. And here, because it happens out of sequence, they take all of those things that would happen and flatten them out. Yes. If you can just kind of picture the rise and the fall in this story, and then you kind of grab it on both ends and pull it, and it just flattens all out. (laughs) The only time that I actually got an emotion pulled from me was actually when he was on the subway with his mother. Oh, that's another really terrific scene. Yeah, that's the one scene. Like, his mother at that time, I think he is a few years old. He's like three years old or something and at home. Mm -hmm. But he sees his mom on the subway and strikes up conversation with her. That was the most emotional scene for me where I actually felt something. Absolutely. And this entire relationship between he and... Rachel McAdams, like, okay. It's a very weird relationship that the Claire and um, Henry have. Yeah, Claire movie. and Henry, Claire and Henry. So I'll try and keep that. Uh, do you think this movie thinks it's being cuter than it actually is? This movie appears to me to be convinced that it is romantic. Yeah, romantic. Cute, maybe not, but I think they think it's pretty epic. They think it's epic, and it's a good romance. Yeah. I don't think it's a good romance. No. Uh, I also don't feel like it is. And the poster be damned, I don't think it's a very good... No, if I mean, you look uh, at the poster of this, that's definitely what they're selling. Look at these two and how in love they are. Look at these crazy lovebirds. Look into her eyes. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> uh, I'm not convinced. Yeah, I mean, no. convinced of her. But... Is it them? Is it the actors? No, no, it is not. Okay. I, I absolutely 100% do not believe it's the performers in this movie. I think it is the way those characters are presented and handled to us, the viewer. So kind of branching off from that, the earliest indicators to me that we were in trouble with this movie <laughs> are, one, uh, about 20 minutes in, I'm wondering who the main character is. The movie is called The Time Traveler's Wife. Oh, yeah, but it's all about the time traveler. Well, it is to an extent, right? I think the movie tries to have it both ways. Well, can't there be two leads? It definitely can, but I think what makes this particularly difficult is the fact that it's a time travel movie where the characters are meeting out of sequence. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Good luck, Quantum Leap. That, to me, makes it very, very difficult. Now, Quantum Leap maybe skirts this problem because um, we're always seeing things, for the most part, from Ben's perspective. There have been a couple notable instances where we seem to be seeing things from none of our main characters' perspective, and it always kind of breaks the narrative a little bit. Right. But for the most part, we're seeing everything from Ben's perspective on Quantum Leap. Sure, sure. If at some point Ben meets Hannah out of sequence, we will be there with Ben. We're not going to be there with Hannah. Right. We will see Hannah in whatever order Ben sees her, which will likely be just a straightforward, linear trajectory. Unfortunately. Right. You really think it will be? I think it will be. And this movie only makes me feel more confident of that, because this is a self-contained story with a beginning and an ending, Uh and it has trouble doing this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's one of my other notes on here is that given all the opportunity it has to do something like that, the story is told chronologically. Yes. And this is the second thing. I started to feel like, okay, this movie is not quite doing what I expected, I guess. And that is in the montage after they move in together. Because we see a sequence spanning weeks where they are getting their apartment situated, they're learning to live with each other. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple instances where he just vanishes arbitrarily, but he always shows back up. And I started to think, wait, is he still living his life in a straight line, but occasionally just gets plucked from the timeline and tossed around, and then he comes right back to where he left? And the answer there is yes. But it kind of takes a little while to figure that out, I think. And once you do... Oh, now they're engaged. Now they're getting married. It's their wedding day. And you feel like, where's the time travel? Like, I got to a point where I'm like, we're just going in a straight line right now. 
Yeah, and we'll come back to that because it's absolutely true. However, at the wedding, it is fun. That is good. He time travels when they're supposed to be having their wedding. And then he shows back up, but it's not him chronologically. It's him from another time. It's older him with gray it's, hair. Yeah. Actually love that. Yeah. And the whole reason, of course, is that we want to see what her dad's reaction is going to be to it. <laughs> right, right. And uh, this is the kind of thing that they don't do enough of. Yes. They leave it chronological. And the problem is most times when you have a character that time travels, they blink out. They do whatever it is they're doing for however long they've been doing it. And they come right back to the time that they left like they were never gone. And it's like, oh, man, I just spent three months in Belize or something like that. And now I'm back. But in this movie, time continues for... Rachel McAdams, what's the, what are their names? Claire. (laughs) Claire. Henry and Claire. Time keeps going for Claire. And however long he's gone is the amount of time he's gone in the main timeline. Which is another weird thing to do with time travel. It's weird to do, but I shouldn't have to be the person that figures that out. And again, I'm willing to cut this movie a lot of slack on chrono impairment, whatever. I can buy that as a concept. I get it. He's bouncing around through time. That's fine. But... The very least you could do movie is explained to me that he bounces away and comes back to where he left and he bounces away and comes back to where he left and he keeps going in a straightforward fashion before I have to suss it out on my own. That's the way I felt anyway. Hmm. He does, as a kid, come back to the space that he left moments earlier. but Yeah, at the very beginning. But that's the only time we see it and I don't think there's a lot of... I'm going to push back a little bit. Okay. One of my favorite scenes, and this is only, you know, we're talking about 30 seconds of screen time, but I believe it's in that montage you're talking about. She opens a gift. It's this beautiful sweater that clearly came from him, but he's not around. Yes. The notion of him being gone all that time really just boils down to the traveling salesman that's away from his wife for Mm -hmm. weeks at a time. And, oh, what does the wife do while he's gone? This is the problem that their relationship amounts to with time travel. I mean, it's time travel. Like, all the problems that time travel could create, you've decided to limit it to, oh, well, he's gone a lot. That was a... a, a, Yeah. But I I got away from my my point, which was that she gets this sweater in a gift, and it's obviously supposed to be very meaningful. She opens its brand new sweater... And the next second, she's just wearing it like a rag while she does some painting. (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh, my God, you're right. it's a storytelling technique in that in the time that he's been gone, however many years this is supposed to represent, clearly the things that are supposed to mean something to her are losing value. So that story was conveyed very clearly to me, and I thought very well visually but I don't care. But the movie, but the movie quickly <laughs> drops that sort of stuff. You know, there's they have this big argument. The first argument they have in the movie is mm-hmm. when he's been gone a few weeks, and he comes back, and she's like, "Where have you been?" And it's yeah. like, "Bitch, I'm a time traveler. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what's going on. You knew you married into this." And that was the first time I was like, "She's a little emotionally abusive." But mm. but he's also kind of emotionally abusive. And that's a thread that once you start to pull on it, and go with the sweater thing, a lot of the movie starts to really unravel when you start to look at it from which one of these people is worse. <laughs> <laughs> They're both bad people. They're both kind of bad people. Hmm. Circumstantially. When she started laying into him for that, I'm like, what, did you expect him to change after you married him to not being a time traveler? And there's a moment pretty early in the movie where the version of Henry that she's met over the years Mm -hmm. has been an older version of Henry than she meets in the library that day at the beginning. So when Henry meets her, he's younger and... She's older, and it's not until later in his life that he actually meets her as a kid and starts this whole thing. Right. 
there's a moment where Claire seems to imply that like, well, he's not he's not the man I fell in love with yet. And the unstated part of that is, well, maybe I can make him the man I fell in love with, you know? And so, hmm, I think that Claire spends a lot of time trying to mold him into the man that comes back to meet her as a kid that she falls in love with by compelling him to fall in love with her to begin with. Right? Hmm. So the time travel conceit in this, and I want to bring this up and then we'll kind of open the floor. (laughs) The time travel in this movie is closed loop time travel. Right? Right. Everything that happens in this movie has always happened. It is destined to happen this precise way or else none of this would work. And time itself is immutable. Nothing that Eric Bana can do in any time period can alter the events that are going to transpire. Yeah, in fact, they mention he's tried numerous times. Right. Mm-hmm. Everything that's happened has happened. So to that end, yeah, I suppose these two were destined to be together. But what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? And because there is no chicken and there is no egg in this scenario, both of them come across as manipulative. Yeah, okay. Well, I guess I can see some of that. Most of the note that I made on that topic is that I feel like they avoid, and maybe you feel differently based on this, but it feels to me like they avoid this relationship feeling really creepy. (laughs) I don't think they fully avoid it. (laughs) Well, I think they do a much better job than, say, Trilogy. The uh, Quantum Leap series. Sam was hanging out with a 10-year-old and then 10 minutes later was boning that 10-year-old as a young woman. Right. Excessively creepy. Right. We covered that. Go back and listen to that other episode, but he has a parental relationship with a young girl and falls in love with her as a woman. And it's just weird and creepy. At least in this movie... He meets her at an appropriate age. Yes, I think that is key. Because if you were in his shoes and you had the opportunity to see your spouse at age 10, Uh of course you're taking it. I would love to see how my wife was interacting with the world at age 10. I bet it's the exact same way she is now. (laughs) (laughs) There's only one way to find that out. Are you going to need me to edit that out or she doesn't No, leave it in. Leah, she doesn't listen. This will be how I test her. Speaking of unhealthy relationships. um... You're one to talk, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, to me, it it avoided mostly that kind of, ooh, he's in love with a child? Because he's not really. He's already in love with the woman. By the time he's gone back to meet her, he's already in the relationship, and I think they're already married by the time he travels back and meets her as a child. So in one sense, hey, good for you. You don't make us feel like icky. But also... Boring! (laughs) You know? They don't do anything with the time travel that makes this any more interesting than a Sunday afternoon. What makes it creepy to me is that he is destined to groom her. Okay. From Claire's perspective. Okay, yeah. That's, she meets yeah. this guy in a field when she is like 10 years old, and he Naked. keeps coming back to visit her <laughs> periodically throughout her life. I think we should add the fact that when he time travels, he can't take his clothes with him. That's a very important thing. Wherever he ends up, he's naked. So when he meets this 10-year-old girl, he meets her as an old naked man in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> who she later falls in love with. The way he explains it to her. And this is somehow my favorite line in the movie and I think one of the clunkiest pieces of dialogue in the film. Okay. Which is maybe why I love it so much. I'm a time traveler. I come from the future and when I do, I don't get to bring my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> like imagine if that was like theorizing that one could time travel within his own time but without his clothes. <laughs> Dr. Sam Beckett. Stepped into the quantum leap accelerator without his clothes. (laughs) Right. He woke to find himself trapped in the past with no clothes. (laughs) Like, just let's keep talking about the clothes. 
Although there is a scene, yes, where Eric Bana's run around naked a lot in this movie, but we do get to see Rachel McAdams' butt at one point too. So don't worry, guys. There's a little something in there for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> in my notes, I just wrote Rach Butt McAd Butt. <laughs> <laughs> I was really excited about that part. Well, <laughs> well it makes sense. Okay, like fine. I mean, it could make just as much sense that he does have his clothes. And one of the major issues he has with time travel is finding clothes. And you know what the best part of that is? On multiple occasions, he finds the clothes, gets them on, and then immediately time travels back. Like, his whole trip was just finding fucking clothes. (laughs) It really is. That's not an exaggeration. I think he really points out one of the most frustrating things about time travel is having to figure out where to find clothes. Where to find clothes. Yeah, he's constantly breaking into cars. Like, why is that what you choose to do? Yeah, it's... it's... I don't get it. But, I don't know. Did I derail a thought of yours? We were talking about manipulation. Yeah. And and, and Rachel McAdams' perspective. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wrote here, Man, find yourself a woman who looks at you the way Rachel McAdams looks at a time traveler she met as a six-year-old. (laughs) because <laughs> she is just fawning over this guy all the time. But that's my point, right? Yeah. This is a mysterious figure who has been ever-present in her life. I wrote, yikes, everything about her first meeting with him is, as the kids will say one day, sus. <laughs> we'll say one day. <laughs> Literally nothing about it is cute. And this is the 10-year-old, hey, I'm a man in the bushes, stranger in the bushes, and I don't have clothes. Can you give me that blanket? You know, and like we're kind of accepting it because we've met her as an adult and him as an adult. But if we just think about Claire's experience growing up, this kid, as far as the (laughs) movie, never had a chance. (laughs) But as far as the movie's concerned, they show us the scene where he meets her as a child first. Yes. But chronologically speaking, it's we know that him. he meets her as a woman before he meets her as yeah, a child. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's right. it's both creepy at the beginning because there's a naked man hiding in the woods, but then also kind of okay from from his perspective. If he meets a woman, they go on a date, he brings her home, they begin a relationship, he starts time traveling, and then he sees her as a child. And you bring up a good point that he then has the opportunity to affect her as a child, but they've also said he can't change anything. Right. (laughs) Yeah, and if you look at it from her perspective, she's kind of falling in love with a unicorn. Right, exactly. He's like a Prince Charming that will at one point come into my life. She's enamored with him, and then they're just in a boring marriage. Right. And things get bland for her. And why wouldn't they? It's not magical anymore. Right. I thought you know, this And was these are be... all great ideas. Yes. But the movie just lets them It, it just languish. lets every single one of them slide or just kind of fade yeah. into the background like so many time travelers suffering from chrono, what is it, incontinence? Impairment. <laughs> Impairment. Incontinence. Chrono incontinence would suck. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it... It it falters in creating a chronological relationship for the audience. Yeah. Like, Ben and Hannah, so far, they've met just three times. And they've been in sequential order for her. And she's never and, been ten. That's also a really important yes, thing here. <laughs> true, true. But before having seen this movie, if we were presented with what if he ran into her as a ten-year-old, I think we would have been like, oh, that's interesting. And now I'm kind of like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> you know, but I also so, think Ben would play it differently. Yeah, sure. You know, and, I think he'd be a lot more smooth about it. Like, and, you know, he would just better be like, than Sam would play it. <laughs> God, I hope so. Good God. So I think that Quantum Leap has a better opportunity to do something with this in that one, it's episodic. Two, we know that he bounces around out of sequence, there's a very real chance that the next time we see her will be before the events of Love Pyramid. What was that really called? Egypt Show. Spy something. It was called Nomad. Yeah, that. <laughs> Egypt Egypt Show. 
Uh, but yeah, it would be before the events of Nomad. <laughs> Tonight's episode, you know? Egypt Spy. <laughs> Great. Sand job, Spy. Guys. Sand Spy. <laughs> I still want them to do that. I still feel like that needs to happen. Because that's kind of the point of this, is they're not doing anything creative with this. Right. They're basically just creating a problem for a marriage. But there's a, trust me, I'm married. There's plenty of problems <laughs> sure. in marriage. Sure. And once they are married, these two do some questionable things to each other, I think. The last thing I'm going to say about the time travel and the 10-year-old and everything else is that she is presented as sort of the anchor that draws him back through her life. He's coming back for her. Right. If he had a little less control over this, whether it's implied or not, I might be a little bit more okay with it. Like if it was just a, oh, look, look who I just ran into. It's just happenstance, but he keeps coming back there deliberately to whatever capacity he can. Is it deliberate? I thought he couldn't control. Well, yeah, his daughter can, right? And I think on some level, it's implied that he is able to keep going back to big moments or big events. And Claire mentions, I was a big event as an adult when they meet the first time at Bow Tie, which is a very clever name for a Thai restaurant. (laughs) I just want to throw that out there. I was like, that's a good name. But she says when they're sitting at dinner together that very first night he's ever met her, she's like, I'm a big event. Me. Yeah. Your life is about me because you keep coming back to see me. And so that's where she's coming from. She spent her whole life. Obviously, this man keeps coming to me. Yeah. He's as obsessed with me as I am with him. Yeah. And I'm like, which one of you guys started this shit? (laughs) Yeah. It's not. Either way, it's not healthy for either one of you. This is not healthy. Now I'm happy. I guess because of the way this story is, I'm happy you found each other, but this is not romantic cast. No doubt on that. Right. Yeah. Um, And by the end of this, I'm not even sure that they satisfactorily indicate that it was okay. (laughs) By the end, you're still not convinced that these two have a healthy loving relationship no because about two-thirds of the way through this movie there is a one-two punch where i think these two do some pretty terrible things to each other yeah they're trying to get pregnant claire keeps losing the babies and for a moment i thought oh man what if every miscarriage he's having that fetus is time traveling somewhere yeah And then one day there's just going to be a legion of babies that show up that have been time traveling. That would have been good. Babies Uh, or fetuses? Well, I mean, fetuses. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they they got older. Well, they went somewhere and you'd think they'd come back because he does. But I guess they die. So why would they travel after they die? But it turns out that's what it is. Yes. She's having miscarriages because the fetus is time traveling. Because the child has chrono impairment. So Henry makes the decision on his own to not put Claire through this anymore and goes to get a vasectomy. At which point I wrote in my notes the time traveler's vasectomy as a potential name for this act (laughs) of the film. (laughs) He gets a secret vasectomy. And then once he reveals that to her, she is understandably incensed for being cut out of this decision and at this moment she finally finally suggests that she was groomed from a young age her words are i never had a choice right but to be in this relationship with you and i'm like oh this is interesting are we finally gonna address this (laughs) yeah but no (laughs) Yeah, the movie takes up until this point to suggest that anything he's done has been bad. Untoward, yeah. Yeah, but then, right after that, she leaves and bones a younger version of him that has traveled forward who has not yet had a vasectomy and gets pregnant. Yeah. And so that's shitty, too. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Like, you're both being very shitty, and I I did kind of laugh at the rationale for leaving and boning the younger version of Henry is basically explained away the same way that Austin Powers 2 explains away how Austin from the past and Austin from the present are both having sex with Heather Graham simultaneously. Technically, it's not cheating, baby. 
Yeah. And like, that's basically what this movie does. Well, she specifically says that. Right. Well, it's not cheating. Womp, 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 womp. No, it's not cheating, but it's still pretty shitty. It's you still guys deceptive, being, yeah. You guys are yeah. going around each other's back about this major decision. And yeah, I mean, it works out. The pregnancy works out great. And this is the worst line of dialogue in the movie that I'm about to tell you here, because this is related to her pregnancy. She says, we should give this baby the most serene gestation on the planet. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Could we not? <laughs> that was a rough line. I cannot believe that made it into the script because no one talks that way. <laughs> but yeah, but it's successful. And I think we find out that it's successful in a very fun way. Sure. When he unmoors once again, goes into the future and sees her, his daughter recognizes him. At but the we zoo. don't know that yet. She sees them on the street the first time. Right. The little girl. Yeah. As soon as I see her, it's like, okay, well, she's their daughter. You know, she's it's, the kid. The yeah. movie makes that very clear to us from a filmic language perspective. But when he travels into, I guess, the, the future again, and he materializes inside of a zoo exhibit, which I thought was really fun, the yeah. movie doesn't do enough of that nonsense. Yeah. He travels in space and time. Yes. He's not just in that same location. So does right. he ever end up in, like, Vietnam? See, or it seems like... Zimbabwe? We... Or we don't know because the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> all we ever see are let's just call them leaps, leaps into a location or in the presence of someone that are very important to him, right? Yeah, and that's really all we know about it. Does he bounce around to a place that has absolutely no bearing on his life, just a random place, or is he always kind of attracted to spots? Where, oh, there's his daughter, or, oh, here's his wife as a 10-year-old, or, oh, here's his father-in-law, and he's going to shoot him in the fucking stomach, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> the movie suggests, just given what we see, to whatever degree there is control, it's that he is finding himself frequently pulled towards people that are important to him, right? Sure. And this zoo thing, he meets his daughter, Alba, obviously named after Jessica, Alba, as people do. You know, I understand. Dark Angel. We all loved it. When she sees him at the zoo, she says that she's really missed him, says, I love you, Daddy. And then he disappears again. I was like, oh, man, he did. <laughs> well, we kind of knew that already, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we knew that he, it was coming. They do have a conversation about the fact that he's traveled to the future but never seen them with a child. The flat romance line, I think... It's accentuated by the fact that they find these important moments that could be interesting and do nothing with them. Like right. the one that you just brought up. Finally, they're coming to some realization about whatever manipulation may have been involved. The idea that maybe she doesn't have a choice. You know, there's a moment there and then it goes away. The other one being you're at a dinner party and he appears on the floor dying from an apparent gunshot and then vanishes and then vanishes later. and then it's like okay you know like that's fuck that was that a, guys uh, anyway anybody need another drink i mean that that is a haunting scene it is it you is see yourself dying in a pool of blood on your own floor and then the, they all just kind of look at each other and like what was that oh well they go. don't pick it up no, again it, until near the end. These are moments. Movie, pick up your moment. Tell a story. <laughs> and that's it, really. There are so many interesting ideas, and it's almost like a, a series of vignettes with a cool concept that is taped together with a very bland, overarching plot that doesn't really do a service what is the plot? to the ideas. What is the plot of uh, this movie? Uh, yeah, I don't know. What is this movie about? A woman it, marries a time traveler and they but buy like, a house. But like, <laughs> one, they sports almanac the lottery, buy a those, house. These are things that happen. This is not what the movie is about. Yeah, like what is the... <laughs> um, You know, like every movie except for Ghostbusters is about something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's this film theory that every great movie 
is about something except for Ghostbusters, which is not about anything. <laughs> what is it trying to say? What's it trying to tell us? Does it have a perspective on anything? And no, right? <laughs> not really, I, no. Again, it's like a sequence of very clever ideas. When I look back and think of all the things I liked about this movie, they are moments. One of the things I really love is when they look outside and Henry's like, oh, who is Alba playing with outside? And it's like, oh, it's Alba, right? Alba's there with a slightly older version of herself and they're having a conversation. Right. And we're not privy to the conversation, but she's kind of just saying like, look, things are going to be okay and you're going to be okay. She's kind of giving her younger self the same pep talk that older Henry gave his young self when he started time traveling. Because she told herself that her dad was going to going die. Going to die, right? When she turns five. Yes. Moments like that where I'm like, this is the very, very cool and i'm here for it there's something to do with that yes but they don't and that's what leads me to believe that maybe maybe some of these threads are fleshed out in the novel in a longer form story yeah yeah hopefully there's a moment to say something like this whole idea that you're bringing up about who manipulated whom into this relationship that's a concept that you could use to give a perspective on relationships and the need to treat other people with a healthy respect. Mm -hmm. That yeah. is something the movie could be about. But, but instead not. it just asks us to accept it. It's just a thing. This is the way it is, and it just asks us to roll with it. <laughs> well, they bring up the point. Yeah. And then they drop it. It's like a series of missed opportunities. Yes. You, you know it didn't miss, though? The bullet from Claire's dad's gun. I thought that that was interesting, too. Narrative devices. There is an actual Chekhov's gun in this movie. <laughs> yeah. When Henry meets Claire's dad for the first time, he's like, hey, so uh, you ever hunt? <laughs> uh, no, never, sir. Would you like to? Oh, I'd love that sometime to go hunting with you. You ever been in a cockpit before? You ever seen a grown man naked? Joey. You like movies about gladiators? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. As soon as, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, his ass is getting shot. <laughs> and should have known when we found out that Claire's dad was a hunter and a Republican that he was going to take a page out of the old Dick Cheney playbook and <laughs> blow Henry to smithereens. Yeah. Not on yeah. purpose. I mean, Not I thought on that... purpose. It's an accident. He's a naked man in the woods, just kind of pops up there in front of a deer yeah, the man was shooting at a deer and You should have been wearing bright orange. Henry, come on. <laughs> if he could wear clothes, I'm sure he would have. That's the whole reason he can't wear clothes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's a, any number of ways that he could have been shot, popping into any kind of yeah, sure. situation. So kind of I a thought miracle that was a... he made it as far as he did when we're getting down to it. Yeah, that's fair. Does anybody ever find out that it was the father-in-law that did it? Like, does he ever find out? I don't think out? so. Does Claire ever find out that her dad killed her husband? I don't uh, think so. Yeah, probably not. Because nobody knows, except Henry. And maybe Henry doesn't even know. I don't know. Not the alive Henry. Okay, at the end, I will admit there was a moment that kind of pulled at my heart a little bit. After sitting through this whole movie, it got me a little bit at the end. The very, very end. Okay. After he's passed on and she's living with her daughter, raising as a single mother, they move back to the house where the field was. And turns out he can travel to see his daughter, right? Right. At some point before he died, he had traveled far enough into the future to see his daughter in that field where Claire and was for the first time. The conceit at the end is that he does it not often per se, but on occasion. He's done it a few times. He's done it a few times. And the part that kind of gets me surprisingly less about the kid, uh, Rachel McAdams, what's her name? Claire. <laughs> Claire. Claire. So he shows up and Claire comes running out of the house, you know, like, hey, mom, mom, he's here, he's here. And she's got a long way to run. And yeah. she's running and running and running from the house to the field and gets there in just enough time to give him a quick kiss before he disappears. Uh, yeah, it did the trick for me, too. She also 
ask him, like, why didn't you tell me you'd be here? Yeah. And his response is, I don't want you to spend your life waiting. Right. Scene to me is as good as this movie could have ended. And I don't mean that as a slight. It's actually a pretty effective ending for it. And it does come circle to the main problem of their relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Was that she spent too much time waiting. And in death, he learned that. But not really in death because he's still alive. Yeah. Time traveling. So fun fact about that scene. I believe Mm -hmm. it's that scene. This movie was originally supposed to come out in 2008. And... Got pushed to 2009 because of reshoots. Okay. Why did it take a whole year? Because after filming this, Eric Bana shaved his head to play Nero in Star Trek. In J.J. Abrams' (laughs) Star Trek movie. And they had to wait for his hair to grow back. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So final thoughts here then. How does this compare to the Ben and Hannah relationship and how we'd prefer to see them play with this kind of concept? I think, well, already, straight out of the gate, Ben and Hannah, I want to see more of that. There's an innocence in Ben and Hannah's interactions that is never present here because somebody always knows more than the other person at yeah, every point in this movie. I don't know if they movie. have chemistry either. I don't think they yeah. do. Well, okay, so a couple facts about Time Traveler's Wife here was that it, the film adaptation was originally written with Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston in mind Okay, for the two roles. Could they have made it better? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I'm never going to... Jennifer gonna... Aniston could do that better. I think Brad Pitt probably could, too. Like, I'll never underestimate Brad Pitt. Like, one of the most charismatic oh, he's fantastic. people, you know? When we get around to 12 Monkeys, oh shit! <laughs> we need to do that movie at some point. We do, we do. Yeah, I could see it working better with them, actually. Yeah. I mean, the story won't be solved. The, well, the story the problems are my biggest problem with it, honestly. Yeah, like, absolutely. But their chemistry is not on the level that I feel like Ben and Hannah's is. Ben and Hannah, obviously they're going to have other stories to tell in the midst of their relationship. But yeah, I'd like to see him meet out of sequence. You could do a situation where once we reach sort of a termination point where we know this is the last time Hannah's going to see Ben in her life, if Ben then in the past meets her as a small child. Yeah. Something like this could be nice. I don't necessarily need that either. I, just Keep the kids out know. of it. <laughs> well, I mean, if they do it fine, you know, that could be fine. But I was thinking more in terms of like, how old is she when Sand Spy happens? Like 30? Probably 30, 30. Early, early to mid 30s, so, I think. Right. So like a story when she's 27. So, right. You know, like that's what can be fun. I've already had this adventure with you. And now I'm meeting you again where I know that you're falling for me and I love you. Right. Last time I saw you, you told me to come up and talk to you. Right. Because you're looking for me. But but it hasn't happened yet, and you still have to tell me those things. You know, that's where you get into this sort of paradoxical kind of thinking. Yeah, exactly. If they don't do that, they're missing out. So I guess it the, feels like I guess the the preferred angle is somewhere in the middle, somewhere between this sort of linear progression of a romance we're seeing on Quantum Leap this season, and the abusive in ways we can't quite put words to and can't quite pin down. Right. Of the nature of the time traveler's wife. Somewhere in the middle there is the storytelling apparatus. And again, that's the line that Doctor Who and River Song have towed for years now on Doctor Who. So I think its greatest offense is the fact that it's boring. There's too much there for it to be boring. Yeah. There's so many good nuggets and good ideas at play here that the worst thing it can be is boring and a lot of that relationship portion of it is yeah would i recommend this movie no probably not well (laughs) no okay i probably wouldn't no i definitely wouldn't yeah it's not a great watch it's not insufferable certainly not it has moments but yeah so much better stuff out there to watch that don't waste your time I'm very curious about the novel. I would be curious to read the novel. I am very curious about the novel, but not enough to read it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. If you happen to read the novel and can tell me whether all these things we talked about are actually better explored, it seems like an interesting enough idea that 
You know, it's kind of like Ready Player One. One little interesting concept and really poorly written. Are you talking about the movie yeah. or the book? Because it doesn't well, really matter. I, hear, <laughs> I haven't read the book, but my understanding is that the book is very much like a list of things from the 80s. And it, that's basically it. It is yeah. essentially, it reads like a conversation with the least interesting, most pedantic child of the 80s you could possibly meet. It is a real slog. And the worst thing about Ready Player One, the novel, that the movie corrects. You've read the novel. I've read the book. I've seen the movie. Yes. Ready Player One treats the female character as though she were like Princess Zelda. She is a prize to be won. Uh. The year is 2012. This doesn't work anymore. Yeah. It was just really... I don't want to say toxic masculinity was on display, but it was just a very bro-y, dumb book. Yeah. Well, there's a Ready Player Two in the works, I think. That novel came out. I did not read. Okay. You know, the movie itself... I didn't hate it. No, I didn't. I, mean, it was I didn't fine. hate it either. And and again, it made improvements on a couple of the characters. And Ben Mendelsohn's in it. I can't hate a movie Ben Mendelsohn is in. I think a lot of people disliked that movie because of oh well, it's just a nostalgia fest. Hey, look, there's the DeLorean. There's the Iron Giant. Yeah, they are. There's not a wrong. lot of that. They're not wrong about it. But at the same time, you get that incredible shining sequence halfway through the movie. Yeah, that's really fun. That's yeah, that's better than anything in the novel. There's a story. You know, I don't hate the main character. Yeah. And there's a, a bunch of fun stuff to look at. I don't hate it. Yeah. I yeah. love it, but it's, <laughs> but it's, you know. But I do think that if I were looking at Ready Player One and The Time Traveler's Wife, and would I recommend either of them to anyone... I'd probably be slightly more inclined to recommend Ready Player One than I would Time Traveler's Wife. Oh, if you have the option, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. If you have the if option, you're at the... if you're somewhere and those are literally the only two choices you have. Yeah, like if, if you're, you're standing at the video store. Like if, if you're in... renting an Airbnb <laughs> and for some reason the only two movies in the cabinet are Ready Player One and The Time Traveler's Wife, watch Ready Player One. <laughs> That's my review of The Time Traveler's Wife. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, you've got The Time Traveler's Wife one hand and a bargain bin in the other. Keep digging. Just dig. That would be my thing. If you find it in a bargain bin at the dollar store, keep looking. Yeah, there's there's bound to be something in there. There's probably a copy of Hobo with a Shotgun in there. Or like one of those mix DVDs with like five movies on them. Oh, and then you get one of those and one of them is bound to be good. Or like that movie 300 wrapped up with like six other movies that have nothing to do with it. Sword and Sandals. It's like 300 is always on those things. Yeah, yeah. And at least you would have 300. Now, what's a good time travel movie that you could package with the time traveler's wife that might make that worth picking up from a bargain bin? Huh. The Butterfly Effect? <laughs> With Ashton Kutcher? Yeah, like, talk about a time travel movie that's the complete opposite of this. <laughs> Yet on par somehow. Yeah, about on the same level, but I would recommend The Butterfly Effect over Time Traveler's Wife. Yeah, it's better. Easily. It's better. Easily. Maybe we'll cover The Butterfly Effect someday. Someday. It's down on the list. Let's say it's, it's pretty far down. It's going to have to be a long hiatus. <laughs> We're in it for the long haul here. Before we finish up, we do have some breaking news. Breaking. Breaking news. What? Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, on the edge of my seat over here. <laughs> Reportedly, Eldon Henson and Deborah Ann Wall will be back in the new season of Daredevil. Oh, no Born kidding. Again on Disney Plus, yes. I am genuinely curious how that came to be. I think it's those rewrites. A few episodes back, I talked about how we just know too much. Yeah, about that's true. how shows are written and conceived of at this point, and everybody hears, "Oh, well, Born Again is going all the way back to basics, and they're going to have to rewrite everything, and they're hiring a new showrunner, and all that stuff." And I I'm had like, actually forgotten about that. Yeah, they did. They yeah. scrapped like half the storyline or something, and went back to the drawing board. Yeah, well, part of that drawing board was apparently <laughs> bringing in the characters we wanted to see to begin with. Yeah, uh, Foggy Nelson and Karen Page. 
And, and also, Quantum Leap is coming back way sooner than we thought it was. Yeah. Last week, if you suffered all the way to the end of that clip show, <laughs> I mentioned that it wouldn't be until March. It's a little sooner than that. It's, it's very soon. Quantum Leap's going to return on January 30th. January 30th. Speaking of knowing too much, I feel like we're getting a real window in how quickly things turn around on a show like this, because didn't the strike just end like yeah. four weeks ago? <laughs> Maybe they had more done than we thought, or they're just working double time. Whatever the case, we're going to get a new episode of Quantum Leap on January 30th. Now, a couple of notes about that is, one, it's a Tuesday. Right. They're coming and back two, on Tuesdays. Yeah. And it's also moving to 10 o'clock. Which That's because it's going to get a little more racy between racy. Ben and Hannah. Quantum Leap After Dark. <laughs> now that the logo is going to be like a neon sign that's like <laughs> flickering in and out. That's right. So 10 p.m. Tuesdays. And baby, not only is Quantum Leap back on the 30th, we're going to be going straight through week to week to week until February 20th. There's going to be a two-hour season finale for Quantum Leap. So, uh, yeah, that leaves us with, I guess, how many episodes is that, Nate? Is well, that only four new episodes, but one of them is two hours long? That's what it sounds like, yeah. Maybe that two-hour finale is more like episodes four and five or something like that. But. Right, however you want to calculate it here. Yeah. But. but yeah, that means next episode we'll be tackling the return of Quantum Leap. So for those of you who are really holding out for a 12 Monkeys episode, <laughs> you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. A on little that. bit longer, but it's in the pipeline. I will tell you, we'll tell you this. R- Rachel McAdams was actually in like an impromptu, unofficial time travel trilogy there in the last decade. And I, I didn't think about it for a little while, but, you know, we talk about the time traveler's wife. Mm-hmm. Yes, she we She then did. appeared in the movie About Time with Donald Gleason. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. And that one's supposed to be good. Oh. No? Oh. I will tell you it's better than this. <laughs> okay, well. And then there's my bar. favorite. My favorite of the three, which is unfortunately directed by Woody Allen, but it's still a great movie, uh, Midnight in Paris, in which she did not time travel, but her boyfriend slash fiance time traveled once again. Okay. Well... After visiting this, it's made me think that maybe Meet Cute was the better option. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Meet Cute. That's dialing it back. When did we talk about that one? Uh, early on, for sure. We're going to have a long hiatus between seasons if they're going to finish up by February 20th. So after the end of February to the beginning of the fall television season, that's a long stretch. And we'll be coming up with some creative options, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you guys have any ideas out there, something that you think we should attack, what's the email? Yeah, definitely reach out to us at oboyqlpod at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know your uh, ideas for future episodes. Anything you want to see us cover, time travel, mm-hmm. of course, uh, appropriate. Well, you want to tell them about the... Uh... If you recall alsplace.com quantumleap-alsplace.com which we mentioned earlier in our run here yeah we mentioned it over the summer it was the place we uh pirated all those comics from yeah so if you listen to our episode leaping on the comic page we mentioned quantumleap-alsplace.com well they've given some more life to their website and opened up their message boards again and they're trying to build a community over there and they invited us to start posting content. Ooh. So if, for some reason, you're not already subscribed to our feed, I'll be posting some of our new episodes there in their message boards and willing to chime in with anybody that wants to talk Quantum Leap. There's some other podcasts that are doing the same thing that I might check out just to see what else is out there. Get yourself a handle on those message boards. and They still got those scans of those comic books over there? Because I, I didn't download all of them, Nate. I think they're still there, and we'll probably need them again real yeah. soon. <laughs> QuantumLeap-AlsPlace.com Folks, you can also find us on the socials, as it were. What, what am I on Blue Sky, Nate? Captain Burn, C-A-P-T-N-B-E-R-N on Blue Sky. You can find me on Instagram and threads, 
brian.lee.martin. And I am at Action Nate on both Blue Sky and Threads. Just cornering the damn market with your with your name. Yeah. Guess what my email address is. Just have no <laughs> earthly idea. But if you start getting hate mail to it, that's on you, buddy. <laughs> Send the hate mail to oh boy. Yeah, oboyqlpod at gmail.com. That's the email address, guys. And that's our show. We will be back next time to talk about a brand spanking new episode of Quantum Leap. And we don't know what's coming up, but I do feel like it's going to involve Hannah Carson. I hope so. But until then, I'm Brian. And I'm Nate. And we'll be here in the waiting room.